get out of your office and get in your car and spend Saturdays and Sundays because that's when there's less traffic. You know, that's, those are really, to me, the best work days for going out and seeing things. Hi, you're listening to Ready to Scale, the second season of That Really Happened. This season is focused on APS of real estate, asset, process, and strategy. Each guest on the show will reveal the assets they invest in and why they chose to do so. From multifamily to industrial, self-storage, mobile home parks, and more. Then, they'll uncover the processes, tools, and systems they've used to build multi-million dollar businesses. And finally, they'll uncover new, unique, and exciting strategies to invest in real estate. From co-working to buy and hold, fix and flips, co-living, and much, much more. Now let's get the show started. Hello, hello, I'm Ellie Perlman, your host broadcasting from sunny California. When I'm not behind the mic, I buy multifamily properties with passive investors who partner with me on my deals. They get to participate in large deals without the need to negotiate, sign on loans, and manage their properties. Today, I'm really excited. We are launching our podcast second season. I named the season Ready to Scale because I wanted to focus on the business side of real estate. Season one focused on investment stories behind the scenes, and our Ready to Scale season will be focused on what I call the APS of real estate. So A stands for assets, where we'll discover all kinds of real estate assets from multifamily to retail, industrial, and more. P stands for process. So we'll discover the processes, tools, and systems, and basically learn how to apply investment techniques. We'll talk about how to hire the right team members, how to find deals, how to analyze and underwrite deals, and much more. And lastly, S stands for strategy, where we'll explore new, unique, and exciting strategies to do real estate. We'll cover buy and hold, fix and flip, co-living, and anything under the sun real estate related. So if you enjoyed the podcast, please take a minute to rate us and don't forget to like and follow along with me on social media as well. So you can find the show notes on all of my podcast episodes, both season one and two on my website, ellieperlman.com. Now, before I continue, I wanted to personally invite you to one of the events that I'm speaking at in October in Denver. It's called the Raising Money Summit, and it's a great event because it's going to teach you how to raise capital. So it's basically going to be between October 3rd and 5th, and I'm going to talk there as well. And this event is uh, the Raising Money Summit. It's going to teach you how to raise capital. You'll have a lot of takeaways of tactical strategies that you can use to close more deals in less time. You'll discover the proven methods professionals use to create win-win deals and partnerships, and you'll be able to stop worrying about how you're going to fund your next deal. So if you're going to use the code, the promo code Ellie, you're going to get 20% off during the month of August. And that's going to happen between October 3rd to October 5th in Denver, Colorado. So today I will be chatting with Chris Hotze. Did I say it right, Chris? You did. All right, perfect. So from the age of eight, 
Chris developed strong connections to real estate and private equity investments. His father, Ernest, had eight children and worked as an engineer. But on the side, over many decades, he was able to acquire a large portfolio of commercial and residential real estate. Inspired by this, at the age of 29, Chris had his first exposure to creating value from an underperforming real estate asset. Chris took over and managed a large multifamily property, and to this day, he acquired over $150 million in real estate, and he's active in six states, Texas, Washington, Nevada, New Mexico, Indiana, and Mississippi. The interesting thing is that Chris found out about underperforming assets and the repositioning game, which we will uh, talk about in length later on. So without further ado, I would like to welcome Chris to the show. Hey, Chris. Hey, LA. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? Great. Excited to be on your show. Thank you so much. So um, We share the same passion. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like it. <laughs> I know. I know. That's a great passion. There's so many ways to create revenue. And I really wanted to kind of, before we dive into the APS of real estate, wanted to hear from you about what you do today and how you got started in underperforming assets. So we're a real estate investment firm. So I head up a, a group that we buy industrial and neighborhood retail that is strategically located. We have some development component that is a part of what we do, but we are really our investors. We develop, uh, we'll buy assets that are undervalued. We'll buy assets that we think can be torn down and we'll ultimately reposition those assets into a place that we think will ultimately be profitable for us. We try to hold for the long term. We like the long term cash flow play. So we own shopping centers. We have shopping centers that I've had almost 20 years. I started basically by accident. It was a passion of mine. I, my dad was in the business on the side, but I ended up getting into it because I just knew I wanted to have that passive recurring revenue coming in every month. And that was such a big early passion of mine. I had a young family when I first got out of college, started having children, went to get my MBA, went to law school at night, and I was also working in the real estate business as a side gig. And so my first business was actually property casualty insurance. And I mm. liked that business a lot because every year you had insurance renewals. So there was a recurring revenue stream. So you didn't really have to sell too much. Once you had to book a business, you had a recurring revenue stream. I just happened to be very successful in that business at a young age. And by the time I was 32, I just said, yeah, I've got to go do it in real estate because I felt like there was a, a bigger place to do uh, or to have an impact on the world was through real estate. So that's what we ended up doing. So I started Crisere Capital and Crisere, after many years, Crisere has grown to about a hundred million in assets right now. We've sold some in many states. We have some right now in a couple of different states. Uh, we're under, we're in a, a growth mode. We've just bought our largest industrial property. We're building and developing our largest retail center. And we actually have put together our largest land assembly in the urban core of Houston right now. So we have a 12 acre land assembly. That's pretty incredible. So a lot of good things going on. You know, it takes time over the years to kind of figure out how you're going to do it, where you're going to do it. And then also the economy kind of dictates where you go. And so that this is this is what we do, and we have followers, so we syndicate. 
and have had people that have followed us for many, many years. And it's just been a fun ride. I don't know many syndicators that have been in the business for 20 years. It looks like it's um, pretty popular these days. And I'm so shocked when I meet people that don't haven't heard of a syndication, you know, of that model today. So doing that, you know, 10 and 20 years ago, that's I can't even imagine how challenging it was, or maybe not to find a way to reach out to investors and have investors even hear about it. Because with social media today, it's pretty easy to get exposure, you know, to all kinds of real estate strategies out there. So I think that's really, really interesting. So I would like to kind of start talking about the assets that you're buying and start there. Earlier, you mentioned that you were purchasing uh, retail and doing some developments, but would like to know what type of assets do you currently invest in besides retail? So we have land plays that we will buy in the urban core that are typically multifamily or they'll have some auto shop on them. And in Houston, we don't have zoning. Mm-hmm. So we we can buy property that may be underperforming. And over time, Houston gets a bad rap because we don't have zoning, but it actually ultimately allows Houston to reinvent itself. And so there's some areas of Houston that at one point had old industrial. And so you know, we see these old industrial sites and old buildings that all of a sudden start becoming really, they stand out because they no longer fit in the area because the area has improved so much. So what we'll do is we'll look at those properties. We'll identify which ones are underperforming and we'll go in and and see if we can buy some and get a significant holding and we'll try to assemble property. And so right now we're part of an assembly of a group of assets that, you know, over time we think are going to be transitioned to a higher and better use. And part of the change, quite frankly, is us coming in and buying that property. So if we don't make that position, you know, somebody else probably would have eventually. But, you know, you kind of have to take a leap of faith that you're buying something and buying something that has value and buying something that has some exit strategies. But the position to us is very valuable to buy some really good dirt that ultimately you know, for the short term might have some covered land aspect to it. So we might have some income stream to cover the taxes and and some other costs that you have associated with holding land. But if you can do that and then reposition an asset, you have to have a little patience and you have to have some exit strategies that are built in. But, you know, there is a reward there. And there's also a reward that we think is really cool, LA, is that we can massively impact a community if we do it right and bring in some killer architecture, some great elements, brick, wood, amazing features, bring in great tenants. All of a sudden, you start changing the area. And particularly if you have a corner, a corner to me, a corner is like the the one thing that changes everything. If you have a junky corner or a vacant old drugstore on a corner, a bombed out building on a corner, it impacts a whole area, particularly on a, you know, major corners. And so we've been able to buy a couple of strong major corners and do some architectural things there that have just really transitioned the area. And then all of a sudden it, it makes the area change. And then all of a sudden I see other developers with big names start buying mm-hmm. around. And so all of a sudden you've changed the dynamic. And 
uh, that's a fun process because you start impacting the entire city. So Houston gets a lot of you know, challenges you know, nationally because we don't have zoning, but I think it actually has worked to our advantage a lot of these old urban areas where they've, they've really transitioned. It's, it's cool to see them come around. So we're doing a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Do you have any specific asset that is is your favorite type of asset to purchase that might be easier to reposition in? You know, we actually have a corporate directive of what kind of assets that we want to buy. So there's specific kinds, which are neighborhood retail and the urban core. So I've had retail that's out in the suburbs. It's a little harder to own out there because you have a lot more competition. The urban core, there's just hard to find places for mm-hmm. land. So there's a limited amount of, of competition. So we like that. We like industrial that's in the urban mm-hmm. core, mostly light industrial, things that aren't really that beautiful, things that maybe aren't on the big REITs radar screens. And then we also like just property that is underappreciated and undervalued mm-hmm. that just looks like something else could go there if you put the right assets together. So that's great game that we play. I so see. those are our three mm-hmm. those are our three main core components. So the kind that we like to buy, we like to buy things that aren't of those three classes, we like to th- buy things that aren't overpriced, mm-hmm. you know, that aren't highly sought after. We want to really have a relationship where we can find a, a real value that actually makes sense for as a buyer and makes sense for the seller. It has to, you know, nobody ever comes to the closing table if they don't think they're getting a good deal. So it's got to be good for both. And we look at a lot of assets and over time we try to, we only pick a few every year. And that's the one thing. So it's, we try to buy value, which you and I talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. The second thing we try to do, and I think this is important, is we try to uh, have multiple exit strategies that we try to, yeah, all this is going to be, there's another exit strategy down the end. What's it going to look like 10 years from now? Mm -hmm. Um, Is this asset going to be different? Is it going to be repurposed? You know, all these, you know, cities like Houston right now, cities like Nashville, they're undergoing a lot of change. Dallas, Austin, becoming much more dense. And so where we used to have everywhere in Houston grocery stores that had 20 acres of parking lots, we don't have that anymore. They're building grocery stores on two-story parcels with two-story parking garages. And so you have smaller footprints for grocery stores because everything is becoming much more dense. I'm sure it's happening in LA. You know, it's, it's happening in Seattle. It's happening everywhere. So we recognize that. And so as we look at some of these inefficient properties, that's, we look for that and say, okay, what's the exit strategy 10 years from now as this city gets bigger? And so we kind of covered, you know, the assets that you're purchasing. We talked also a little bit about the strategy and I would like to focus on the process. So can you share with me and the listeners, where do you usually find those underperforming assets? You know, there, there's a lot of, yeah. How many deals do you have to look at to find one deal, right? What's the question? That's the golden question, right? It's a, it's a lot of deals that we all have to parse through. And sometimes, you know, I I hate to say this number, but it's thousands of deals. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure you have the same thing, Ellie, Mm -hmm. right? You're probably looking, you may not be going through due diligence on thousand deals, but you're a thousand deals come across your desk or email. Mm -hmm. So, and we're constantly having deals brought to us. 
a lot of times we bought things that had a lot of hair on them, a lot of things that a lot of challenges, pollution, contamination, old gas stations. And early on, we determined that, you know, some of these things with problems we could figure out. And so that was always the, the very initial stages of my business experience in the real estate was the real estate business was buying old gas stations all over the country. And they all had problems. And I used to manage gas stations back in Israel. So I know exactly what you're talking about. They all leak. And even mm -hmm. if they had the newest equipment, they leaked. And so there was always some kind of component that we had to deal with. And we also bought buildings that had asbestos. We bought buildings that had other challenges. And, you know, I'm pretty good at surrounding myself with people who can figure things out and create solutions. And so we've, over the years, we've built a team of people that don't not only work with us, but are people who we associate ourselves mm -hmm. with that, you know, we have a situation, we'll make a determination whether we can fix that or not and how much it's going to cost and start plugging those numbers in from an investment standpoint. But sometimes, you know, problems are good. Problems are quite frankly, there are opportunities. And quite frankly, problems are going to happen even when you do buy a property and things That's are going right. good. You're going to have some problems. And the fact that you're doing a lot of things, uh, and this is for anyone who's an investor who listens to your, your show, you're going to have something go wrong at a property. And, you know, and I hear all these people say, I don't want to own real estate because I don't want to get called in the middle of the night or whatever it may be. I don't want to have a leak and I don't have to fix it. Well, you know, I look at those problems as actually good problems something we had somebody run over a fence at one of our centers yesterday that's a good problem we don't it's not it's a nuisance but it's a problem that just shows that you you're in the game and mm -hmm. that's just a that's a somewhat relative easy one to fix there's much more difficult ones but you know the same thing with buying a property you could come up with a lot of reasons not to buy something that has problems but putting together a team who can figure out how to fix it and make mm -hmm. it work that's really really valuable I would like to move to the last part um, of our interview about and talk about strategy. So we were talking about underperforming assets. What is your definition of underperforming assets? At what point do you look at a deal and say, oh, you know what, that could be an opportunity for us. There's enough, you know, meat on the bone to move forward and take a risk and purchase it. Well, there's some real easy ones. We bought a property that was a former pizza joint. Mm -hmm. And it, it was not well taken care of by the family that owned it. Uh, there were vagrants living inside of it. And I looked around and I said, yeah, this is right in the middle of one of the greatest neighborhoods and it's allowed to be run down like this. So you drive by it and you say, well, this can't be, this shouldn't be this way. And so, you know, a couple of phone calls later, you try to find out you know, who owns it, right? This is for everybody. Everyone should be doing this if they're listening to this show in every community that you're in, because quite frankly, you can see some of these things, they stick out like sore thumbs. It mm -hmm. wasn't the first time that I ever did that either. We, we, we bought a shopping center up in the Garden Oaks area of Houston about 12 years ago from a family that didn't live in the United States. And the first time I drove by it, it was run down. It had some good name tenants in there at the time, Radio Shack, who was in business at the time. You had... Um, yeah a liquor store, you had Eckerd Drugs, which had just been bought out by CVS. 
And so these tenants were in there, but the center was run down and had not been well-maintained. And I was able to sit down and, and talk with the family and had them come in from out of the country. And we ended up working out a deal to buy the property. So it was underperforming. It was clear as you could see it when you drove up, just the way that it was maintained, the way that vacant spaces were left dirty. And, and so uh, it hadn't been updated. The parking lot had potholes. And so those things, particularly whether they're on, on the hard corner or in, they're in the middle of a community, they impact everything else. They, they drag it down. So, I mean, I'm not patting myself on the back by any means, but it did impact that whole area. We were able to get Starbucks to come in on a, on a redevelopment and all of a sudden Starbucks comes in, starts bringing interest from everyone else in the area. So next thing you know, we have a major intersection with a lot of interesting concepts that came. 12 years later. So you just have to keep your eyes peeled for it. And you know, there's a lot of things. This is one thing I'll say to Ellie is if an investor is listening to this and they're you know, a solo investor, a lot of people just specialize in one mile, a one mile radius of, of a city, right? That you might live in Santa Monica, you might live in LA, you might live, you know, in Napa, California. A lot of people that I've seen that have been most successful have said, I'm going to go specialize in this one little part of town. And we're going to just know that extremely well and become a specialist on this one street. And I can name multiple people that have done that in multiple cities. And it's really amazing. You don't have to be all over the country. And so a lot of people won't even get into the real estate investment game because they feel like they have to be these big REITs buying all over the place. Mm -hmm. And I've seen people in local communities that own things in just one part of town and you know, multiple assets. And over the years, they become the specialist in that part of town. doesn't matter where they went to college. It doesn't matter what MBA program they didn't ever go to. Most of these people didn't even have degrees. And it's just really remarkable to see how accessible it really truly is to everybody if you just keep your eyes peeled. So it's a good question. How do you find them? They're just out there. You have to probe. And if you see something that looks really run down, that's probably a good place to start. And what would be your advice for someone who wants to look at his neighborhood, look for opportunities and do what you do, basically purchase a small retail or some stores at a corner or even one store in, in a good corner and try to repositioning and improve the, the property. What would your advice be as for the first few steps to do that? Get out of your office and get in your car and spend Saturdays and Sundays because that's when there's less traffic. Mm. You know, that's, those are really, to me, the best work days for going out and seeing things. That's one, okay? Go and see properties. Number two is focus on areas of town that are just on the cusp that are maybe not the hottest part of town. So you, you mm -hmm. said Santa Monica is probably pretty well heavily priced. La Jolla, California. I mean, there's parts of Houston that are just, you just can't touch. Mm -hmm. um, but there are parts of town that are in transition and you can pretty much identify those. If you can't, you know, you look up what transitional areas are, right? With it. Gentrification of an area. And ultimately get to know that area and see if that's a place where you want to invest. So that's, that's the second thing. And then the third thing is to find someone who can mentor you. 
learn as much as possible from them. I sometimes that's how I got it. That's actually how I got in the game. But when I would find a property, I knew that it were, particularly when I was early on in this game, my father had passed away and you know, his assets are still owned by my mom and he had just rent houses and some other things that ultimately became a, bit, a part of a larger portfolio that was really remarkable. But I knew being one of eight children that I had to make it on my own, especially being the last child. So I started and my dad was gone and he really wasn't a great real estate practitioner. He was a good real estate investor, but I had to learn the practice. So I found an old real estate developer and I would bring him deals because I I found that I was good at finding deals. I would walk in his door And I'd say, hey, I've got this corner here. I've got it under contract. And I think it could be really good. What do you think? And one of these days, I've actually had two. One, a couple of brothers that are twins out of San Antonio. They're like, let's invest together. Let's do something. So they're still partners today, almost 20 years later. And there was another older developer that had done amazing things in Houston. He said, yeah, let's do this together. So if you show drive and determination and you're able to see these deals, put them in front of other people, share those with a mentor who, and they have to have done it before. And you'd be surprised. They'll help you figure out how to do your first deal. My first deal was $283,000 acquisition on a corner off of FM 1960 in Northwest Houston. We bought it from the University of Illinois Foundation. And I knew we were getting a great deal, but it was the first note I ever signed. I had three kids that were young and I remember going to the bank and signing that note. I think we put like $50,000 down on it or something like that. And that was between me and this partner. And I remember being you know, like, that's re- signing a note is a real deal. And that was the first real kind of experience that I had. I like, yeah, this is, you're in the game for real when you sign that note. So mm-hmm. there's some responsibility that goes with it. And, but having that older partner with me along the way and the, the group out of San Antonio, the two brothers, that just, they were amazing because they helped me find the way. And really, they showed me the way and they made me feel comfortable. So I never really lost sleep at night about any of those. I love it. Yeah, may have been lost sleep at later times in my life, but not, not this. When I was out <laughs> not on my that own, night. That, that, yeah, but it's part of the game. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. I think, you know, your advice is right on. That was a very, very interesting story also you shared with us. So thank you so much for that, Chris. So if listeners would like to reach out to you or read about you, where can they find you? Well, I've got a website, chrishotzi.com. It's chrishotzi.com. And they can also... I wrote a book called Mailbox Money Mindset, which was on the Amazon bestseller list for real estate for almost a year and came out last September. Still on the bestseller list. Every couple of weeks, I see it pop back on there. It had a great success. I self-published the book. It's called Mailbox Money Mindset. It's about my drive and determination and my dad's drive to have this passive revenue stream to help protect him if something ever happened with his job or help protect my mom if something ever happened to him because he was responsible for all these children. So a mailbox money mindset 
is this really a passion to have a side income that allows you to maybe not, not work anymore, or maybe do what you want to do and go find a job that you want to do. It allows you to have a passive revenue stream. So my drive to, to own real estate was to have you know, checks come in on a monthly basis associated with a predictable stream of revenue and a predictable group of tenants that I knew would be there for a long, long time. And that was based on my dad. And so I write about how that happened in my family culture. And I share with the other people who I've met along the way, many of them immigrants to the United States who came here with nothing mm-hmm. and had the same mindset. That's a big part of Mailbox Money Mindset. So they can go read the book. And then also that I've got a YouTube channel, Chris Hosey. You can check some of my videos out. I interview a lot of people who are real estate developers and who've done it on their own. And many of these people don't have college degrees. And, you know, so a lot of the, the myths out there that you have to have all these things to be in this business, you have to have money or you have, it's not necessarily true. I can tell you I have three degrees and I'm not saying I'm not using them, but anybody can do what I do with the right determination, with the right experience, with the right drive and patience. You can Absolutely. do it all. You don't have to have a lot of money. That's a myth. You don't have to be extremely educated. And I think those that are most successful, it's not in spite of not having it formal, you know, higher education, but it's because of it. Because when you don't have this, you don't have all those six-figure jobs that are very you know, lucrative and it's kind of a golden cage where it's really hard to leave behind you. I think life kind of puts you where you have to fight for yourself. You have to work harder than those with the right or the higher education. So in a way, I completely, you know, I completely understand that. And I think, you know, what you shared with us is great. And I think it definitely opened up my mind to think about other avenues of real estate investing. And I wanted to thank you again for being on my show today, Chris. Absolutely, Ellie. It was a joy. All right. I really enjoyed having you um, and I really hope you're going to do keep doing great things. So again, it's Chris Hotze. It's um, H-O-T-Z-E. If you want to Google him or, or look for his book on Amazon. All right, Chris. Really enjoyed it. What a fun interview. All right. Great. Have a good one, Chris. Take care. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.